0: All right, welcome everybody to the Shop Notes podcast. I'm your host, Phil Huber. I'm joined today, as always, by the regular core of contributors, Logan Whitmer and John Doyle. Uh, Today, we're speaking from our own workshops or even the set of the Woodsmith Shop. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about live edge fads and what we're working on in our own shops and in the updates that we have around the magazine and the TV show. So let's get started. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all of your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all in Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. All right, Logan. This one was on you. Why is and it always feel, on me? I I feel like hey, you suggested the idea. Yeah, I'm giving you credit and blame for it. As, you know, yeah, I was
1: say I don't know if that's on more you. it's on about your it.
0: shoulders. Yeah you, have, yeah, you are the atlas of this episode. Just I feel Just like this bit. is yep. okay. So, live edge furniture in all its many sundry forms and i will lump in the epoxy river pores in here as well
1: yeah i almost included that in my text but i didn't so
0: now is this because you have a bandsaw mill and every time you slab a log you are essentially making live edged boards
1: kind of yes and, and that's kind of where it stemmed from um, so for Number of years I've been kind of fascinated, and I think everybody goes through this this period where they're fascinated by George Nakashima, right? Sure. Kind of the the Godfather, uh, Mr. Miyagi of live edge furniture. What?
2: <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I would have gone with the BGS of live edge. Okay. There, there you go. go. All right.
1: <laughs> well, anyway, so so George Nakashima obviously was a, a very well known furniture maker, built beautiful furniture, right? And I actually before this whole furlough thing or the uh, work from home thing came up, you know, the the whole pandemic or whatever uh, in the office, I found an auction, an online auction that was selling some actual uh, George Nakashima furniture from Pennsylvania, which it was like, holy cow. I mean, this this world renowned furniture maker who is no longer making furniture. Obviously, he's passed away his daughter. I believe Mira now carries it on. but some of George's furniture was up for auction, um and I was very tempted to take out a second mortgage to pay for some of it, but I did not <laughs> uh, but yeah it, it kind of it was the the whole topic popped to my head uh because this last weekend I was um sawing at somebody's place, and uh we were cutting some um oh we were cutting some maple that he had and it's like oh these are like super these are like perfect for like coffee table size stuff and that made me start thinking you know yeah everything i'm selling for the most part is live edge because i like to live cut it that way i can just stack it back the european style to dry you know i don't have to worry about rain or anything really and it's nice just to keep that uh, flitch the same Uh, and then you can easily go through and bookmatch stuff but um it made me start thinking about how popular live edge stuff has become, but how it's very, very easily overdone in my opinion. Right. Like the live edge stuff was, was also popular back in the seventies, you know, with the big Cypress round tables and the, you know, just,
0: yeah,
1: a lot of that live edge stuff. And I'm not talking, I'm not necessarily talking about like the cabin rustic you know, uh, beds that have the the log
0: mortise made th- from poles essentially yeah, yeah. yeah
1: basically i'm not talking about that necessarily i'm talking about you know actual tops lateral life edge um and i think in my opinion there is a time and a place that it's well done right or it can be well done if the execution is right however it can be very blatantly obvious that is a fad piece if it's not done well does that yeah. if that makes sense Right, um, I think there's some there's some good times where you can utilize live edge, and maybe not necessarily live edge. Maybe it is, um, maybe it's a tabletop, and you're not necessarily having the live edge on both sides, but you're book matching them, and you keep the live edge in the center, so you kind of have that yin and yang look. But then you do square up the edges to where you have a traditional right. table shape. Um, you know, in that instance, I think it's well done and it looks great, um, but the same way with the river tables, you know, how people are uh, making the river tables. Um, I think it'll, it's a fad that will come and go. Sure. I think it'll come back, though. I don't know what you guys think. What, you, what, what I guess I wanted to know what your guys' opinions were on the Live Edge furniture. And if you think it'll stick around.
2: I think um, we kind of went through the fad in the late 80s and early 90s where we had like the golden oak and then we got into like more contemporary where it was like the cherry and the maple and everything was just like so uniform wood. I mean, it didn't even look like wood; it was like almost like a plastic because colors were so uniform. And and now with the live edges kind of more into people are allowing the, you know, the rustic look and wood to look more like wood and they're keeping that. It's like that fat has kind of like gone back the other direction as far as, you know, went from very uniform, plasticky looking wood to now wood being wood. And like you said, that it's like when you do it in the right way and in small quantities, it looks good, but you like, you can way overdo it. And then all it turns into like, you know, a log home type look, like you said, with like the log bed and log furniture and stuff. So I think I do, I do like the way it looks. When it's done right in, in in proportion or whatever. And and like you said, it's a fad. It'll it'll pass by eventually and we'll move on. Some we'll go back to the golden oak look of the nineties and people <laughs> people will be restoring their houses to their to the glory of the of the nineteen late nineteen hundreds with their brass fixtures and golden oak and I'm sure. So I'm just waiting for that day, waiting for it to come back around.
1: You know it's funny because that one thing you said John that is is a good way to put it. I like I like it when the character of the wood is shown but it's not rustic. Right. That which I does, guess yeah. that if the little that, sap
2: wood comes into, you know, that's yeah. part of the wood. It's like a yeah. you
1: know, little Kronovian type yeah. thing. Yeah. Yep. Like like I like that. Um, which is funny coming from myself who is I have been called a redneck before. What? Uh, I know you guys wouldn't believe it. I know. It's shocking. Uh, you would think I'd be into the rustic stuff, but I'm not. Um, it, I guess I feel that's, that's the portion of this that tends to be overdone.
0: My okay. opinion. Yeah. So I guess the part that I would say is, you know, going back to the pendulum swing of it, is because Nakashima was working at his zenith in what the 60s and 70s yeah um and then it essentially disappeared but he was alone with it it's not like he started a trend i mean you mentioned like the cypress tables but those were more uh those were more cookies you know rather than like long boards with live edges um but then to john's point you know like you know we working for doing stuff with woodsmith plans and searching through our back catalog of projects, there is definitely a section of rounded edged Oak projects from the, the
1: golden Oak era, from
0: the late eighties, you know, early nineties that probably won't get turned into plans ever just because (laughs) Or we have to wait like another yeah. 20 years yeah, for yeah, that yeah. to just kind of like circle back through. Cause yeah. right now that just has a, a very dated look to it. But I wonder if, uh, you know, the resurgence of the live edge is a reaction to factory made, toned and tinted finishes so that every piece of wood looks like every other piece of wood. And, and like you said, like, like you're showing off. Showing off the uniqueness of each board.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's I guess it's that um, from that standpoint. You know, sawing lumber and stuff, seeing how each board comes off differently. That is that is an aspect of it that I really enjoy. You sure. know, because every tree is different. Like, I'm sitting on my deck right now, overlooking probably 80 walnut trees. Every one of them different. You know, some of them are perfectly straight. Some of them have crooks in them. Everyone is growing completely different. Everyone will look different when it's cut, which is a feature that I like of wood. You know, I right. like that. I, I like that it's not uniform. I like that you have variation, and each, each board tells a story of the tree that it grew with. You know what I mean? Right. So I guess uh, from that standpoint, I like it. Um, and I like... The Nakashima style, where a lot of the stuff he did was just very organic. You know, everything was kind of organic lines, um, really nature-based, which I appreciate. So, And and there's some people that do it well, um, but there's some... I sound like a broken record, but there's some people that just don't. So... Are
2: you going to name names?
1: No. Nope. (laughs) I am not. So, yeah, I, I guess this track yeah yes like yeah no i uh i don't know and, and it's it's one of those things that i i do i i appreciate um that people think you know if i go out and saw a log from something side point because i have a sawmill do i get to call myself a sawyer now mm-hmm. yes okay so as a sawyer <laughs> i i i appreciate the fact that people are uh, hiring me to come out and saw lumber for them and they want to utilize this material that has been grown on their property or that they they procured somehow right and i appreciate the fact that they want to build something out of it um you know what one, one couple that i went and sawed for a couple of weeks ago um had some ash right and they wanted to make some benches outside they they know nothing about woodworking really uh, they do they do a lot of home renovation and home flipping. This is like the third or fourth home that they have been at. They have flipped, they've updated it, flipped it, and are reselling it. Um, and they had an ash tree that was trimmed. It was just hanging too close to the house, so we sawed some of the limbs, which isn't the best wood in the world. But they just wanted to make some benches out of it. Sure. I as a sawyer, I appreciate the fact you know as a, and as a woodworker, I appreciate the fact that they want to preserve that material um, and use it. And I will never discourage somebody from getting into a shop and using their hands to build something. I think that's something that just is lost on most people. So I will always encourage that. Um, So I I do appreciate it from that standpoint, you know? Yeah. And it is a good entryway for people, I guess. And that's, I guess, the the flip side of the coin is, generally, live edge stuff is a little bit easier to make, right? And if it does lean towards the Rustic-y, who cares? That might be that person's style. Right. Um, And it's generally
0: easier to build. Well, and it's also, I think a counterpoint to, you know, it stands as a nice contrast to a lot of furniture. I think that a lot of people have where furniture styles have been kind of Ikea-fied where it's crisp lines and straight, you know, whatever. So if you put a live edge table in there, you know, coffee table or whatever, then you have this counterpoint to it that shows off a a different look for the wood that, you know, that you're, like John said, let the tree be the tree or let it look like the tree that it came from, you know. So on an interesting point, I was, I don't remember how I got stumbled onto the guy's link, but it was, I don't know. He kind of claimed himself as the one who started the river table look, But he didn't do it with epoxy. He has so he has the you know the live edges facing each other, but then gets glass cut to fit. And I kind of thought that the glass looked the glass panel look appealed to me a lot more than, you know, four inches of light blue epoxy.
1: Yeah. Which, to be fair, if you guys have ever priced out that epoxy, it's expensive. Oh yeah, like like gal a couple gallons of it is several hundred dollars. It's it's very expensive. But I think Phil he was the same guy that was uh, trying to um, he was trying to like copyright the name River Table, right? If I remember Could be. right, like, I don't know. Yeah. he was trying to he he had came up with this design using glass and he was trying to copyright it. Um, and I don't know whatever came of it. I mean, it's one of those things. that's like I don't think you necessarily <laughs> copyright something that everybody is using in. <laughs> Would write, but you know,
0: yeah. But I, I mean, there was a there's a coffee shop in town here uh, that has a has a table in it, and I I think it's epoxy filled, but they had it CNC'd or laser cut for the for Sailerville Lake.
1: Oh sure, yeah. Where
0: it's cool. like the you know the overall shape. You know, you got the Des Moines River flowing into it, and then they had the you know kind of like topographical yeah the contours contours cut into yeah. it so you get the idea of what the the lake and the dam and whatever are so i thought you know to be able to change the concept of a table from being something that's more like what's more important what gets set on it than you know the table yeah. itself you know kind of adds something to it i thought that was kind of fun
1: yeah so, so I guess on, on the note of, you know, kind of this whole thing, what are you guys' feelings about sapwood in projects? So we work we work with uh, a lot of material that is um, purchased from um, a lumber company in town, and a lot of the times the lumber is steamed, right? It's kiln-dried and, and steamed to, to uniform sure. it. So yeah. uh, the walnut you get tends to be, a very dull gray look um but it does that to, they do that to bleach the sapwood out of it or dye the sapwood i guess so kind of uniform yeah. the color um and we have a couple of woods in iowa that have a very stark difference in sapwood versus heartwood uh, walnut is obviously one of them cherry can be that way right um you know we have some others uh hickory. I don't know about, yeah i say hickory um will be that way as well so Do you guys see sapwood as a defect? Do you guys try to avoid it when you're building projects? Um, Because at the magazine, we've always tried to avoid it if we can. Right.
0: Yeah, historically, we definitely have. Uh, I made a dining room table as a wedding gift for my wife Mm -hmm. out of cherry. It's in a shaker, harvest table style, folding leaves. And when I was making it, it was more of a... I was trying to use every part of the pig in it and there was sapwood in it and uh and I got some criticism afterwards that you know wasn't expertly done because I'm showing sapwood and those are defects and you know cherry sometimes gets those black mineral yeah deposits in there too so there's some of those no knots really except maybe a you know one or two tight pin knots on on there um But over 20 years, it's taken on a really cool look to it. And having sapwood in different places, to me, it is appealing, you know, because it adds some variety to it, you know, and I think can, again, can work well, especially if you're uh, using it in conjunction with other sound woodworking techniques, you know, are you doing a good job of gluing up a panel so that it doesn't, you know, you don't have wildly diverging, grain patterns meeting at the joint line and stuff like that you know and then i did the for the tv show we're doing a candle lantern and that one i had a cherry board that again had some sap wood and mineral streaks in it and you know having a couple of those accents in there adds color maybe or a graphic look to it that you just don't get when it's just a plain straight up Uniform board, sure. John, John, what do you think?
2: Yeah, no, yeah. I think you hit all the high points there. Is like, it's acceptable if you're considerate of like the way you would with like the grain pattern of the wood and like how you glue up panels, and it's not all, you know, mix match together. I think it looks good. Um, it shows that you know you're considering it when you were doing it, rather than just like taking all the boards and doing whatever you want with them but I think yeah when done with that consideration it looks good and I don't yeah. mind using sapwood that manner so but.
1: yeah I think I think there's a few there's a few projects that I have built um, and most of most of the projects I build for myself are, are walnut just because I have a lot of it um the brag. well <laughs> no just I mean you're walnut rich. Uh, I'm walnut, yeah. filthy walnut rich. Uh, but no, I, uh, I have a lot of it, right? And kind of along the same points as you, Phil, you know, you, you try to use every part of the pig, right? Um, and there's a point where it's like, you know what? It's better, in my opinion, just to go ahead and use the sapwood if you have to. Um, on my, my sleigh bed that's in the bedroom behind me, uh, I have one of the rails on it has sapwood and I was trying to avoid it, but I couldn't on this one board. So I cut it in a way where the sapwood is both equal on top and bottom. So right. it's not like a straight sap along the top. It's, it's split. So it looks intentional, I guess is, yeah. is the point. And it's the same way with the headboard. Um, when I was gluing up the headboard, there's a, a glue line and one section of board or one section of that headboard along the glue line had sapwood. And it's like, well, if I glue that up next to non sapwood, you're going to see a hard line where that sapwood is glued along the the next board. So instead you book match it and you get kind of that, you get that book match sapwood, which sounds counterintuitive, but uh, it blends it in much better. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it, it sounds silly, but it does. It blends it in much better. It doesn't look like, oh, hey, there's a glue line with the sapwood butting right up against that glue line. Instead, it's a sapwood shape throughout the headboard. So, right. I guess, yeah, say, I mean, same thing. If it's done well, if it's done consciously and it looks like you meant to do it, have at it. Yeah. So.
0: Well, and I think at that point, you know, the sapwood as a different color ends up being part of the grain pattern. of It, it does. You know, it's no different than using, you know, flats on boards to their best advantage and having the cathedrals match or be matched or something like that. You know, you yeah. have the wood already has different colors in it to begin with. Yep. And you're just using those to the best advantage. You know, I've read a few of Krenov's books and one word that he uses repeatedly is sensitivity. You know, that you're aware of what you're doing and it's not just, uh, going strictly by the cutting diagram. Yeah. You know, where you're just lopping off lengths of pieces and putting them together. So,
1: which I will say there, that's a double edged sword because we talked about using every part of the pig, but then if you're trying to be conscious about how you cut stuff out of a board, you can end up with a lot of waste. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you're trying to get certain grain patterns, um, you know, if you're trying to use one section of board that has arching grain and using that in like an arched rail or something, you can end up with more waste. However, there's some, sometimes where I think it's worth that effort and worth that expense in the waste.
0: Yeah. I think it's just one of those skills, you know, in addition to cutting wood and creating strong well-fitting joints is being able to uh, be mindful of what the the color and tones and patterns of yeah. the wood are. Yep. So, yeah.
1: On a side note, anybody that's wondering, this is not a beer. This is a maple root beer. I told <laughs> Phil about these the other day. <laughs> I have drank so many of these. I don't drink soda usually, but these maple root beers, uh, we we get them at Menards here in the Midwest. Oh, my God. They're like the best thing in the world. So, so I'm not drinking on the, 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 the job.
2: You moved up from the tiny A&W <laughs> <laughs> root beer from last mm-hmm.
1: week. Like, that is true. To the maple, the, Wis- maple. The, the Wisconsin maple root beer. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a little phenomenal. shout out to
0: Sprecker's root yep. beer. Um, oh, man. It's delightful. Being a Wisconsin boy, um, I used to live in Chicago and then would drive back up to my parents and would drive through the greater Milwaukee area where the Spreckers Brewery is. And it was always real distinctive, that kind of yeasty smell as you went right through. So
1: yeah, you know, it's funny because on the, on the box or the little carton of these, it said, they have like 40 different types of soda flavors which oh, yeah. I, I've, I mean, I've seen them in Menards and there's only been a handful I've been interested in, but when I saw maple, I, I mean, I love maple stuff. Maple lattes are one of my favorite things in the world. It's my winter treat to myself. Don't <laughs> laugh at me, John. <laughs> I'm a i ba- I'm a basic man. I just like oh, my
0: yeah. lattes. You are. <laughs> you are a walking paradox of <laughs> redneck sensitivity. that <laughs>
1: But when you said, because uh, you said they have a, what, a honey cream? Yeah.
0: Uh, uh, what is
1: it, a honey cream soda? Honey cream I, soda. Couldn't find it at our Menards next to me, but I will be looking for it. So in yeah. case anybody is going to call me out, because I know somebody will on drinking on camera, it's a root beer. Don't dang be it. Mean. Yeah, dang it. <laughs> uh, so what have you been working on, Phil?
0: Uh, Well, I finally finished my compact router table, which uh, stretched out unnecessarily long because of just waiting to get some hardware and finding piano hinge screws that are small enough but not too small. Because I had a handful of them here, and I went to put it – you know, I started pre-drilling all the holes for it, went to drive it in, and the head just went right through the hole, you know –
1: It's funny because those piano hinge screws always seem to either be just too small like that or they're too big and the stupid hinge won't close. Right. You know?
0: Yeah. And it's like the countersink and the hinge leaves are just never the right size, you know? So, and I will say that I went a little overboard on the router fence, which I'll be posting about on our website and I'll have a link for it on the show notes. But overall, I'm really happy with how it turned out and, um, about the only thing that I didn't like is when I was putting on this router table has the hinged wings that come out to support the tabletop extensions is even though I tried to glue up the case as square as I possibly could, I had a little bit of racking or unsquareness. And so I had to like shim one of the piano hinges back plumb and, like the right side support wing just doesn't, it kind of squeaks a little bit when it closes down tight. And so I'm not just one of those always, things that I'll totally set up. Yeah, you just leave it set up, or, you know, a few years I won't care about it anymore. And yeah, but it's just one of those things where it's like, I was trying so hard. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and there's some of those projects you get in the middle of, and there's so many different little parts that play together right that you try your best, but just one thing pushes everything out, you know? Yeah. So,
0: yeah. So, but overall I'm really happy with it. Um, like I said, the fence is a little bit, it's my homage to Pat Warner and has some micro just built into it. And
1: I like the color uh, you chose for it too.
0: Yeah, I did. Uh, I've been doing that on most of my shop projects recently is having the, general finishes they are milk paint but it's an acrylic in coastal blue it's kind of a medium not quite navy blue so i have some drawer fronts and some carts that i've done painted in that and uh, provides a little bit of a cleaner look i guess i mean not that i don't mind the bench you know the baltic birch plywood on it but yeah uh, it's going pretty well. I've been doing some stuff in the shop with my kids. And then uh, one of the things that I'm working on now is my dragon crew carving nice. of the new SpaceX dragon crew model- module that goes with my goes with my Apollo one that I did last year, yep. the Apollo capsule. So for those of you uh, watching on the YouTubes, you get to see that. So that's kind of fun. And then uh, now it's on to finishing a bunch of projects that I have kind of have kicking around in my shop, like the uh, Gentleman's Dresser, which has turned into a impromptu workshop storage center. So, so
1: that's been there for a long time. <sighs>
0: it feels, yeah, like, it feels like
1: three years ago we built that.
0: It wasn't three years ago. Two? Yeah, probably two. <laughs> so... I've got like some basement replacement windows in there, and a tool bag, and a bunch of other stuff. And nice. Part of it is I I really like the project, but I'm not sure where it's going to go in the house right now, so we gotta gotta work on that a little bit.
1: Just get rid of a kid, right? the bedroom to decorate. Yeah.
0: So okay. and trying to come up with a good finish for it because I didn't want to do the super dark oak that we did on the. Not that I don't like it. It's just I wanted a lighter look to it.
1: Yeah. What I see something I see a rebel symbol behind you. What is it? You do. It's a uh, is that next week?
0: little sketch from uh from one of my kids. Oh, the yeah. Nice. Star Wars Rebels animated series. So Yay. Yeah. Just I think it's important to I don't know. There's this one element of setting up a workshop where it's the functionality of it, like having the workbench, the right tools, and that kind of stuff, and it ends up just becoming another office, so to speak, in your house, and it's just a a work area, but because I don't do this for a living, I want it to be kind of a special place, so I have shop art scattered about in it, so... That's one of them. I makes I me enjoy well. the time that I have. So, yep. John, how's
1: the fort coming? Really good.
2: So, <laughs> <laughs> weekend I uh, got the roof on. Did some shingling, and I have to give a shout out to all the people out there that do roofing as a career, because I had probably like. Fifty to 60 square feet of roof to shingle on this playhouse. And it was like, oh, I'll go out there for a little bit in the morning while I'm still in the shade. And then my 9 o'clock, it's like, oh, it's like 80 degrees out. It's too hot here on this little roof. And then so I'd go back in and come back out and then when it was like 8 or 9 o'clock at night in the shade and kind of just do a little here and there. So it's like, makes me really respect the people that are on like roofs.
1: Doing real roofs. Doing real work
2: and like, because I couldn't even handle that. So, but got that all done, got the, the roof on. So now it's just got to get it painted sometime and a little trim work and we'll be there. So, I feel like it's going to be an all summer project. But <laughs> it's all functional now. It's got a roof on. So,
0: that's good. which is probably the better part is that at least it's functional. Or is that a downside where it's like the kids are playing on it? I really don't need to do anymore. Right exactly that's what i've tried i was like we got the slide on now guys can i stop and they're like no you gotta
2: do more you gotta do this you gotta do that so each little step kind of appeases them for a little while and then i gotta do more so so that's what i did last weekend and this weekend i've just kind of been basking in the beach basically not a sand beach but beach wood as in 200 board feet of eight quarter beach that were, uh starting to work on an english workbench for the tv show here next right. week so getting all that wood together and so you that's know, been enjoyable so. about you logan
1: uh you know so i have uh, last night i spent the entire evening uh basically from six o'clock until about ten thirty, putting a roof in this camper <laughs> like so first of all i feel like i dropped the ball my wife bought this camper. Okay, uh, my wife. I we agreed. I agreed with her to buy this camper. You're compromised. With I her. compromised, Yeah, she wanted the camper. I didn't. So we compromised and bought the camper. And uh, I had no way to get it home. So I feel like I missed the ball or dropped the ball because I owe a shout out to Jim. Uh, Jim's one of our uh, subscribers and uh, listens to our podcast and TV show and stuff. And he's here in Des Moines. I'm friends with him on Facebook. And I, I sent out an SOS on my Facebook saying, hey, does anybody have a fifth wheel hitch that could pick this up for me and bring it to my house until I can trade my truck in? And Jim said, heck, yeah, I'll, I'll get it for you. So Jim came out and got it and uh, brought it to my house and dropped it here. And it kind of as a trade, I went out and saw it at his place, cut uh, some logs that he had uh, last weekend. Uh, so that was fun. Um, so huge shout out to Jim. Uh, his Facebook page is Bubba's Woodworks. So I'll throw a link to that in the show notes. Um, but yeah, so I we've kind of been redoing this camper. I say we, My myself, has been tearing this camper apart and redoing it per my wife's instructions. Um, and I am like super thankful that when I was younger, I learned wiring with my dad. Uh, my dad's an electrician so we used to wire houses for our friends that were contractors um because i i just i tore out all the electrical just put new electrical in it and last night i started putting up this roof and this is we talked about we talked about plywood last week right and why all the hate there's another product that i hate but it's a decent product in the right application and it's it's particle board flooring. So this stuff is like a it's a tongue and groove flooring, right? It snaps together like so, okay? So these guys that are watching can see it. Uh, so it's kind of like a ship lappy type flooring. I would never personally put a particle board flooring down just because I think it could soak up water if you spill water on it. And the top on it is like a vinyl coating. It, it, when you cut it, the vinyl like peels off and stuff. It's really weird. Um, but we bought this stuff at Menards and I did the entire ceiling in this like shiplap half inch thick flooring, um, which allowed me allowed me to buy a uh, uh, battery powered nailer like we have, the, the Ryobi one we have on the, the show. I bought the 18 gauge one um, to put this stuff up. Uh and it worked fantastic. Um but I was up till like probably eleven o'clock last night doing the this, the the ceiling in there, but it's done. I was super itchy, so much insulation all over. Um you know, putting can lights in and stuff. So that was uh that was interesting. So now that the ceiling's done, I guess I have a couple walls to replace that had water damage at some point. So That'll be fun. Uh, you, we always joke about how Douglas fir is—it's it, kind of a nice wood, like it, it, vertical grain. Douglas fir is a nice-looking wood, but right. it has splinters of death.
0: Yeah, they're venomous.
1: And you know what's worse is Douglas fir plywood. Oh. And it's like it's like twice as bad. So all these uh, walls in this camper are like a super thin, like fir plywood, and they just they shatter and stuff so i'm gonna have to peel some of those out i have like three areas to pull out that i think are like four by four or so and replace with new nasty poisonous plywood that i bought so <laughs> that'll be the next project uh, but i did i actually went out and i had a uh, log to saw this weekend um or last weekend uh i think the biggest log to date that i've got on my mill um it was uh, a a ash log it was about 12 foot long about 32 inches in diameter and i think based on my log calculator it was like 4,000 pounds i mean the thing was massive um but i uh i have a uh company um crow outdoor services in des moines they they reach out to me and i'll i have some photos of this log on the the trailer or on the sawmill and i'll put those in the show notes uh but um boy on over at crow has been texting me when he gets these nice trees so he's like hey we have a tree we're dropping in an hour can you get there i was like yep boys get in the truck we're going so throw the kids in the truck hook the sawmill up go over there and uh we we cut this ash and i will say i'm getting a lot of a lot of ash right now because these ash john stop laughing (laughs) god I knew you were going to. <laughs> you know,
2: i gonna stop like with the the butt joint jokes. And yes, stuff because I just found out my parents are listening to this, and they were oh. like... <laughs> last week. They were like, "Hey, what's up with the butt jokes?"
1: <laughs> oh. uh, but uh, anyways, we have a lot of ash trees that are getting taken down, obviously from the, the ash bore. So mo- almost every tree that I'm getting a hold of right now tends to be ash, and they're they're big. Um, you know, this one was 32 inches in diameter. I couldn't cut it straight through, so I had to do straight edges on one side. But at some point, I think I'm going to have to start cutting some of this ash into, like, bowl blanks. But my fear is, so right now I'm cutting everything two inches thick. But you get a two-inch thick piece of ash that is 24, 26, 28 inches wide and 12 foot long. It's a couple hundred pounds. So if I cut them four inch <laughs> If I cut them four inches long, or four inches thick, I, how am I going to move that myself, really? You know what I mean? Like, that's going to be super heavy. So, I don't know. I'm going to have to figure out something to do with all this ash that I have. Maybe I'll reach out to the Des Moines woodturners and see if they if they want any ash bowl blanks or something. Because, oh, you
0: should. I would think that would they yeah. would be really interested in that.
1: Because, I mean, I can cut them easily on the mill. You know, I just cut them four inches thick and then use a chainsaw to cut them into basically 24 by 24 bowl lengths. But so I'm I'm looking forward to getting some stuff that's not ash, uh, hopefully soon. Uh, I have a bunch of red oak to cut, um, and I think we'll do that for a magazine article uh, here in the next couple of weeks. So that will be fun to get in the middle of.
0: Yeah. I think that'll be a fun series of articles to do about saw milling. I mean, even if you're, uh, even if you're not, uh, interested in buying a mill yourself, I think there's definitely value in, uh, finding wood, you know, yeah. and un- unusual places for it or really special boards or sizes that you're looking for specifically. And
1: yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, even if, you know, as woodworkers, we're all, we all like, we're all wood hoarders. Like, I don't know what it is about a woodworker that makes us, maybe there's something in sawdust that makes us all right. have this weird affinity to hold on to everything. So when somebody sees a tree taken down, I think even if you don't have a sawmill, you're thinking, oh, look at all that lumber that's getting thrown away. Right. You know what I mean? Like the, the people across the street just this morning, are they're having a huge elm taken down. And I was like, oh, I should go over there and tell him to leave the trunk. But I don't, it's like 40 inches. It's like, I, I can't do anything with it. And right. it's just, it hurts It hurts my feelings that that tree's going to go to the dump. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping people will find this uh, the, these sawmilling articles and videos and stuff interesting. Um, yeah. You know, maybe they're looking for a mill, maybe they're not. Maybe they're interested in hiring a mill. Um, I, think it'll be, I think it'll be good. It'll be some good content.
0: All right, so here's, the, in lieu of a listener question today, I'm going to pose one of my own. Okay. And I was kind of hoping John would be there, but his phone died, so he is, he's off the air. He's frozen uh, at us. <laughs> right. Uh, so my question goes back to the dining table that I have. Okay. So uh, with the leaves up, the table is three feet by six feet. Okay. okay. Uh, made out of solid cherry served our family pretty well however there is one well technically two fatal flaws in this table design in that the leaves fold on a rule joint and i thought when i was building this as a relatively new woodworker 20 almost 20 well 20 years ago now um was a it would be fun to do a rule joint um b you know you'd be able to take this uh Uh, take the table and fold the two leaves down and now you have this relatively narrow thing so that it doesn't take up a lot of space, blah, blah, blah. So the truth is we almost never fold the leaves down. And when you have kids and you're eating pretty much all the meals at this table, things are going to get spilled. And those liquids seek the rule joint, spill down And turns into a cleanup nightmare. So, clearly the Shakers, being a celibate (laughs) sect, uh, didn't think about children when they were designing this table. So, my question is, and even though our kids are past the constantly spilling stuff stage, it still happens. Oh, for sure. You know, do I, and here's what I'm considering, taking the top off, pulling the hinges off and basically sawing out the rule joint, yep. gluing it back together into a single wide top. I'm only gonna end up losing an inch ish. Sure. Yeah. Probably not much. Yep. Half inch each side because, you know, one side of the rule joint is a roundover and I just really have to go right along that shoulder or the fillet on there. Yep. Glue it back together and now I have, you know essentially still a three by six table, mm-hmm. but now I don't have those seams in there. Is that a legit? I think that's completely legit. Like
1: yeah. I don't, uh, especially if, because you guys have a house now, I'm assuming you guys had a smaller house probably when you built it, right? Or an apartment oh, was an
0: apartment. Yeah. yeah.
1: So you guys don't have, in my opinion, probably don't have, and I might be wrong, but you probably don't have any reason to ever drop the leaves. I mean, right. You guys are eating at it daily for the most part so yeah i would absolutely or
0: i mean but do i then because it this is one of those decisions that creates another decision so do i do so i do that now do i then make the table base wider so that the overhang is more or less the same You know, I can keep the long rails, even though they still have the spinners on it for the to support the leaves. Um, But do I take the end rails and lengthen them? So now there's or do I just leave it? I would probably
1: I would if it was me, I would probably leave it.
0: Yeah. And just kind of what I'm leaning towards. Yeah.
1: Um, Or I guess another option would be uh, if for some reason your wife has a sentimental attachment to the top maybe just make a new top and you shove that top in storage yeah i mean
0: i don't know i guess at some point they
1: want a smaller table again
0: yeah kind of leaning towards just gluing it up and leaving it on there although the question will be like why didn't i do this years ago (laughs) when but
1: yeah but no i think that's i think that's completely legitimate i i don't Uh, see any reason why you couldn't. Um, I did did the same thing with um, the, what did I build? Oh, it was the loft bed. Remember that loft bed I spent like weeks building and now my son doesn't use anymore? Oh, nice. (laughs) Well, it's because our youngest could figure out how to climb the ladder and that was not a good situation to have. Uh, But it's like I built it for a certain size mattress and then my wife decided that we were going to buy a new mattress like the next week. So, it's like I'm in the shop or I'm in the bedroom with a circular saw shortening some rails. It's like sometimes you just gotta modify it on the fly, yep, yeah. so in this case, I guess twenty years later on the fly, but yeah, so anyway you, sh- you should uh you should throw a photo in the shop in the uh, show notes page yeah. of the table, yeah, so I'll we can that. get some opinions on it. But yeah I, I don't see any reason why you couldn't just cut the rule joint out glue it together yeah and call it
0: good you know it's kind of what i'm leaning towards just to i mean i can still the table top is held on with brackets that i can unscrew you know if we yeah. move so you can still get the table itself moved around easily so yep all okay. right so anybody listening wants to weigh in on that i'd love to hear from you Uh, You can reach us at woodsmith at woodsmith.com for an email or uh, uh, find us on Facebook or Instagram and leave your comments there. Uh, Also be aware that we have show notes page for each of the episodes where we're going to put some links and photos of the things that we've been talking about. Uh, Feel free to subscribe. If you're not already to the shop notes podcast, wherever you get your other podcasts or uh, take a look, at our youtube channel where we post not only other woodworking videos but every episode goes on there as well so if you want to see a bunch of talking heads with earphones nodding and laughing and having a good time you can check us out there Um, otherwise we'll see you next week on the next episode of the shop notes podcast bye everybody
2: this episode of shop notes podcast is brought to you by woodsmith magazine Woodsmith Magazine has been trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years, from tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects. You can find it all in Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com.